0: He's gonna to minister to some folks before this service is over. But separate comments we stand together. Let's give him a good ben Dale welcome. To this poor Peter's not a stranger by no means whatsoever. Love and appreciate him. God bless
1: him. Amen. Let's give the Lord that praise this morning. Oh, if you're glad to be in his house, why don't you just offer up a praise right now with everything that you got? Come on, why don't we just fill this house with a praise that'll get his attention? Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. And I'm glad to be in his presence today. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Amen. I believe that's what this world needs more than anything else. Just a good dose of joy in their life. Amen. They'll get that figured out. Amen. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, give honor to your pastor this morning and his wife and their family also give honor to everybody that's in the house of the Lord today. I understand that not only is it a busy time of the year, uh, but we've also got pandemics going on, and we've got all these regulations being passed down from the government, and uh, you could be a lot of places this morning, but you chose to be in the house of the Lord, and I believe the Lord is going to honor your faithfulness today. Anybody need something from the Lord today? Amen. Amen. I believe that's why you're here and that's why he's here because he wants to touch each and every one of us. I, um, I understand that it's Christmas season and we just celebrated that a few days ago, uh, but I never want to get over the fact that he came to this earth for each and every one of us in this house. I I know that we celebrate it once a year and, uh, but I never want to stop celebrating it every day of our life. That if he did not come, We wouldn't have the hope that we have in this house this morning. Amen. Amen. And so for a few moments this morning, I know that the typical way of doing things is we read a scripture and uh, we give a title and we're seated. Uh, But I'm going to bypass the scripture reading this morning. And uh, I wonder if we could just lift our hands one more time before we get into the word of the Lord today. And as our hands are lifted, why don't we earnestly pray that the Lord would meet us in this house for the next few moments. God, we feel your presence in this house already. Lord, it's known that you're in the house because we feel you. We sense that you're here. And God, I pray, Lord, we wouldn't leave your presence the same way we were before we got into your presence. But Lord, minister to every heart and every life in this house. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't we give him praise one more time. Come on, if you feel his presence, why don't you acknowledge that today? I want to to preach to you for a few moments this morning about the progression of the Lamb. The progression of the Lamb. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. John's Gospel opens by introducing to us a man by the name of John the Baptist. And this eccentric man, according to Scripture, who wore camel's hair and ate wild locusts, was sent to be a witness of the light who would later come. Even centuries before John's birth, the prophets of the Old Testament gave insight of him being a forerunner of Jesus Christ and the role that John would play when the prophets told us that God would send his messenger before his face, which would prepare the way. He would be a voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that it was this man, John the Baptist, who now stands a waist deep in the Jordan River. And Pastor Moore, the question is asked, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And John, understanding the role and the stage that he's setting, uh, replies to that question by giving the answer, uh, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you. whom ye know not. He it is uh, who uh, coming after me is preferred before me, uh, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. Uh, Then as the next day begins to unfold uh, and John continues to baptize, uh, Jesus tops the hill. uh, And when John locks his eyes with Jesus, uh, John prophetically proclaims, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, uh, which taketh away the sin of of the world. Uh, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Uh, yes, I love that John calls Him the Lamb. Uh, but at the same time, I also love uh, what John does not call Jesus. Uh, because when Jesus tops the hill uh, and John sees the man Jesus, uh, John does not say, Behold my cousin. Uh, he does not say Behold a capable carpenter. Uh, he does not say, Behold a great teacher uh, or great Miracle worker, but when John saw Jesus top the hill, he understood that Jesus, yes, was those things, but more than that, John knew that this is the Lamb of God. And to fully know the significance of the statement John made that afternoon, you must first know that the sacrifice of lambs played a very important role in the Jewish religious life and their sacrificial system. So when John refers to Jesus uh, as the Lamb of God uh, who takes away the sin of the world, uh, I'm sure there were Jews who heard Him uh, and immediately began to think of those several important sacrifices uh, that were carried out because in biblical times uh, lambs were always required uh, as a sacrifice. Uh, The Jews who were present during John's baptismal service uh, or those who were even within ears distance uh, at this time would have been very familiar uh, with those Old Testament prophets uh, Jeremiah and even Isaiah who they themselves prophesied uh, and said there's a coming one uh, who would be brought forth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, And so it's not an accident uh, nor is it a coincidence uh, that John looks at Jesus uh, and calls this man uh, the Lamb of God. Uh, John understanding is not using uh, some cool catchphrase uh, to describe this man, Jesus, uh, because the fact of the matter is uh, God's answer for humanity uh, has always been a dead lamb uh, and a puddle of blood. Uh, I've come to remind everybody in this house this morning uh, that God's remedy uh, and God's plan for you and me uh, has always involved uh, a bloody lamb. uh, And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, uh, you and I. I see this very thing play out uh, with God's people, the nation of Israel. Uh, In fact I believe the entire Old Testament uh, could be summed up with one simple question uh, and that question is this, where uh, is the lamb? Because all throughout the Old Testament uh, these Israelites, God's people uh, were always looking for the next lamb. Why? Because lambs were uh, an intricate part uh, of God's plan in that day. Uh, A lamb was absolutely needed uh, and absolutely necessary uh, within the framework of God's mind. Uh, And so with that in mind this morning, uh, I've come to preach about that lamb today. uh, And I've come to more importantly preach uh, about the progression of that lamb. Uh, Because you must understand uh, all throughout your Bible this morning, uh, God's revelation of the lamb uh, is progressive. Uh, He starts at the first point uh, And through the process of time, uh, he moves to the next point uh, until he arrives at the complete unfolding uh, of that revelation. Uh, And the amazing thing about the Lamb is this. uh, You can go from the Genesis to the Revelation uh, and there's always lambs in your Bible. uh, But let's take it a step further uh, and tell us this morning uh, that not only is there lambs in your Bible, uh, but the Lamb is progressive. Uh, It starts at one point uh, and progresses to the next uh, And so let's look at the progression of this thing called the Lamb. The Bible tells us in Genesis 22... It shows us that the chapter opens by God speaking uh, to a man by the name of Abraham. uh, And he tells Abraham, take your only son Isaac, uh, that promised boy, uh, take him up the mountain in Moriah and sacrifice your son. And so the Bible tells us that Abraham uh, places the wood for the burnt offering uh, on the shoulders of Isaac. uh, And Abraham in turn takes the knife uh, and the fire in his hands uh, and they begin to cloud the mountain. And the Bible tells us that in the process of climbing the mountain Isaac begins to look around and he says, Father, we have the wood and you have the knife and the fire. But the question is asked, where is the lamb? Because Isaac understands there can be no sacrifice without a lamb. And Abraham looks back at his son Isaac knowing that God told him to sacrifice his boy. Abraham responds and says God will provide himself a lamb and so this father and son arrive at the top of the mountain and it tells us that Abraham binds his son Isaac and lays him on that altar but before he can sacrifice his son before the blade comes down the angel of the Lord appears and stops him and Abraham arises and lifts up his head and he sees a ram caught in a thicket You must understand, God says, Abraham says God's going to provide a lamb. But Abraham sees a ram. Is it a contradiction in the text? No, you must understand. A ram was a male lamb. And it was on this day at the top of Mount Moriah where the progression of the lamb was initiated. Because in that moment, in the life of Abraham and Isaac, a lamb was provided for one single man. In that moment in human history, The lamb came as a sacrifice for that one man, Isaac. When the lamb starts, it's a lamb for a man. But God's revelation is progressive. So let's move from Genesis 22 uh, and we pick up in Exodus chapter 12 now uh, because now the progression continues In uh, Exodus chapter 12 opens uh, and we see the Israelites, God's people, uh, dealing still with Egypt's slavery. Uh, nine plagues have been sent, uh, but Pharaoh refuses to release the Israelites uh, and his heart continues to harden. Uh, but now the Lord begins to speak to Moses Moses and Aaron and he says I've got to answer for his hardness he said you speak to the congregation and tell them to take every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house and the Bible says they ate from the lamb and after they eat from this lamb they take the blood of that lamb and they strike the two sides of their doorpost. they apply it to the top of their door and they done this because there's a death angel that's about to be sent and he's going to go throughout the land of Egypt and if the blood is not applied it's going to walk in that house and it's going to take the firstborn but God said Israel I've got a remedy for death I've got a remedy for the death angel you take that lamb I gave you and you put the blood over your doorpost, and you eat of that lamb and it's here where we see the progression continue Because it started... As a lamb for one man, but now the lamb was sent uh, to save an entire family. Uh, And it was in that moment uh, when Israel understood uh, there was a day in Genesis uh, God sent a lamb uh, to save one man. Uh, But now the lamb has been sent uh, to save my family uh, and to save our home. Uh, And I've come to tell this congregation uh, the lamb can still do that uh, in this house today. Uh, It can save a man, yes, uh, but it can save your family. uh, it can save your home. It can save your children. It's the progression of this thing called the Lamb. The progression continues because God's revelation of the Lamb progresses. And now we go from Exodus 12. And we find ourselves standing in Leviticus 16 because now in this chapter we see the Lord now speaking again to Moses about observing a very important day in the nation of Israel. It is a day that they still continue to celebrate even to this day. It is the observing of the Day of Atonement. And they tell me the Day of Atonement began with the high priest Aaron entering or before he entered he had to bathe and and put on special garments and then he entered into the Holy of Holies and it was in that holy secret place that nobody else could stand in that the priest Aaron would offer a ram or a male lamb for the offering and then he would sprinkle the blood the Bible says inside the holy place why would he do that? he done so because he was removing the sins of the nation of Israel and it's here in this chapter where we see the progression continue. God sends a lamb for one man, Isaac. He sends a lamb for one house in Egypt. And now God says, I'm about to send a lamb that's not just going to save one person. It's not just going to save a family. It's going to save an entire nation. And it was that day on the Day of Atonement when God provides a lamb that's spared... Not just a man. And it spared not just a home. But it spared... The entire nation of Israel. And aren't you thankful the same is true in this day and hour that we live in? Not only can that lamb save the nation of Israel, but it can save the nation that we live in right now. And I think what our nation needs more than anything else is the Lamb to come into America again. That's the only hope we have. That's the only faith we can put it in. We've got to have the Lamb. We've got to have the one who can save more than a man. Who can save more than just a house? We need the lamb to stretch himself and save the nation. But then the progression continues because we come full circle. And now we find ourselves again in John chapter 1. The Bible tells us throughout Scripture there is an obvious progression of the lamb because this lamb serves as a representative of larger uh, and larger groups of people. uh, Because watch it in Genesis, it was a lamb for one man. uh, And then it jumps to a lamb for a house. uh, And then it's a lamb for an entire nation. uh, But then the day comes uh, when John the Baptist is standing in the Jordan River uh, and he's baptizing. uh, When Jesus tops that hill uh, and when John sees Jesus, uh, he understands who that man is. Uh, You may see flesh. You may see a man, but I see a lamb approaching that hill. And that's why John understood everything the prophets wrote. He understood what the Old Testament pointed to. John said, you may see a carpenter, but I see a lamb. You may see a teacher, but I see the lamb. You may see my cousin, but I see the lamb of God who can take away not the sin of a man, not the sin of a house, and not the sin of just a nation it's a lamb that can take away the sin of the entire world in essence John was telling those there that day he's more than just some carpenter's kid from Nazareth He's more than just some man who walks up and down the streets every day. He's more than just some knowledgeable teacher. He's more than some miracle worker. But every lamb from the Old Testament has led up until this point. Every lamb your fathers had then was pointing to this very day right now. And it's in John 1 and 29 where you and I see the culmination of the progression. We see the grand finale unfold because God was planning this the entire time from the very beginning. It was in the heart of God. One lamb for the entire world. One lamb who can save everybody. What started out as a lamb being offered to save one man progressed to the lamb being offered to save the entire world. John understood this is the fulfillment of every Old Testament lamb. He's the lamb of God. The whole sacrificial system established by God in the Old Testament was just setting the stage for the coming and birth of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Why could John call Jesus the lamb? I know John calls him the lamb because John knows who he is. I mean, you've got to be pretty confident in the fact that I know who that man is because John later gives his life for that man. John loses his head because he preached and paved the way for that man. So I know why John says, Behold the Lamb. He knows who he is. He knows he's the fulfillment of every Old Testament lamb. But let's take it a step further. Because in order to understand the statement John makes, you've got to go back to Luke chapter 2. When the Lamb is born. Now I know we celebrated Christmas about two or three days ago. And it's in a distant memory already. But let me show you why you need to remember this every day, not just on Christmas Day. I'm going to show you why John can say behold the Lamb outside of the fact of what the prophets wrote outside of the fact of what John knew let me show you why John could say that it is in Luke chapter 2 8 through 12 I'm sure many of us read it on the day of Christmas and there were in the same country Bethlehem shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and lo the angel of the Lord came unto them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were afraid. And the angel said unto them, these shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. What is the good tidings of great joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Listen, I know Christmas has passed, but don't ever let us forget that if the Savior never came, we wouldn't be where we are today. If the Savior never came to this world, We wouldn't have what we have, and we would not have obtained what we've obtained. Good tidings of great joy in this day, in the city of David, a Savior crossed the Lord. And then they say, here's going to be your sign. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, my question is very simple. Why did those angels appear to shepherds? I mean, why did they not appear to Caesar Augustus in Rome? Why didn't these angels appear to King Herod? I mean, you would think that if God has robed himself in flesh, why not make the announcement to the highest authorities in that region? But they go to shepherds. Shepherds in those days were filthy people. That's just beyond, that's what they were. They were the low class of people. But this is the class of people the angels decide to go to. We're going to bypass Herod. And we're going to go over Caesar Augustus uh, and we're going to make the announcement to these shepherds whom the Bible says uh, were abiding in the fields by night. Uh, Now listen, there's no words in that Bible uh, that's just there by accident. Uh, There's no filler words. uh, There's no random quotations. Uh, Everything in that book serves a reason and a purpose. And the Bible says the angel appears to shepherds of all things who were keeping their flock. the fields. Alfred Edersheim who was a brilliant Jew by birth and training and later become a Christian in his life he offers insight to this very question in his book, The Life of Jesus. And if you've got time to find it, I recommend you finding it. you probably got to go to some library somewhere to get it, but it's worth the read. But Alfred Edersheim, this Jew by birth and training, who later becomes a Christian, writes in the life of Jesus, he tells us that in those days, the day that Jesus was born in, he said in those days shepherds were forbidden to keep their flocks throughout the land of Israel. And the only place you were allowed to keep your flock was in a wilderness. And if your flock was not in the wilderness, they were kept with another group of flocks which were used in temple sacrifices. So according to his writings, these shepherds the angel appears to were more than likely, here it is, Levitical shepherds. Now the, the significance of that is Levitical shepherds done more than just keep random sheep. But Levitical shepherds, their job uh, was to watch over sheep uh, who would later be used in the temple for sacrifice. uh, Because listen, the question was, where's the next lamb? Uh, They understood the importance of lambs. uh, And so these Levitical shepherds had one job. Uh, You were to keep the lambs uh, who were later going to be used in the temple sacrifices. uh, And the Bible says the angel uh, appears to these Levitical shepherds in a field that's outside of Bethlehem. Now to take it a step further and to show you the significance of this field outside of Bethlehem, uh, there's other commentaries who believe uh, that the very field the shepherds were in uh, were the same fields that Ruth and Boaz fell in love in. They also believe it's the same field that David kept his father's sheep in because they're just outside the city of Bethlehem, the city of David. And so this is the same field the angels appear in and declare the arrival of the Messiah. And so now we understand these shepherds were not ordinary shepherds, but they served in the sacrificial system of the temple. And within those fields they stood in. then Inside those fields, They kept their flock in uh, was a military-like structure uh, that was called the McDowell Eater, which simply meant in the Jewish tongue, the tower of the flock. And it was at this tower of the flock. They tell me when you begin to read into this. uh, They tell me at this McDowell Eater, uh, this tower of the flock, uh, it was important because a lamb, uh, when it was born, uh, and when that lamb was observed, brother Moore, uh, and that lamb met the requirements uh, that it must make, uh, we understand the lambs had to be perfect. Uh, They had to be had no blemishes. Uh, There had to be no imperfections. Uh, And once the lamb was deemed perfect for sacrifice, The shepherd would take that lamb into the McDowell Eater. He would take that lamb into the tower of the flock. Listen to this. And the shepherd, after the lamb was born, would wrap it in a cloth. And they would put that wrapped lamb in a feeding groove on the floor to prevent it from being harmed. This is important to know because the Old Testament refers to this McDowell leader. I would remind us of Micah, the words of Micah, because he tells us, "In you, O tower of the flock, he says to you, it shall come. What is the it that he's referring to? He's speaking of the Messiah. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. And so the prophecy's given. Oh, you tower of the flock, McDowell leader, to you, the arrival of the Messiah is going to come. And so if these are Levitical, shepherds uh, who understands lambs and Old Testament prophecies uh, when the angel tells them this day in the city of David a Savior's been born they know exactly where to go anybody besides me ever read that story and I know the shepherds tell them in the city of David is born they only tell them the city brother Moore the angel didn't tell them where to go find him So how do they end up there? It's because the shepherds knew exactly where this Messiah was going to be born. Because they're not ordinary shepherds. They're Levitical shepherds uh, who know the Old Testament front and back. Uh, And so these these shepherds understand uh, that if the Savior has indeed come, uh, if this Messiah has been born, uh, He's going to be born in the Magdalena. He's going to be in the Tower of the Flock. uh, And the shepherds are given one more clue. Uh, The angel said, this is going to be your sign uh, that you found the Messiah. You're going to find Him wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and when those those shepherds walked into the tower of Eder and they saw that baby wrapped in clothes they understood it may be a baby but it's more than a baby. He's the Lamb of God that was prophesied years ago. I've come to tell us why was Jesus born in swaddling clothes and why was he placed in a trough? It's because God predicted it and God established it. This is going to be be your sign when you see that baby you're seeing the lamb perfect without blemish and without imperfection and when those Levitical priests looked at the lamb they understood this is the final progression of all of those Old Testament lambs maybe that's why John could call him the lamb of God Because when he was born, he was found in the tower of the flock. He was found wrapped just like a perfect lamb, lying where those perfect lambs were put. But let's take it a step further. I'll tell you another reason why John could call him the Lamb. Because in order to understand that statement uh, during the life of Jesus and before the life of Jesus, uh, when you begin to understand and read Jewish customs and traditions, uh, you would also understand uh, that there was a sacrifice known in the temple uh, as the Tamid. It's also known as the perpetual sacrifice. And according to the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, it tells us this timid or this perpetual sacrifice took place twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And according to Josephus, another prolific Jewish writer, he tells us that the common school of thought is the morning sacrifice took place at 9 a.m. And the evening sacrifice was carried out at 3 p.m. And so with that in mind, go to Mark's gospel when you get home. And it's amazing that when Jesus is being crucified, Mark feels needful, Brother Moore, to tell us the exact time the crucifixion started. Because in Mark chapter 15 and verse 25, Mark tells us, and it was the third hour or 9 a.m. when they crucified him. And then in verses 34 through 37 of Mark 15, he tells us and at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus gives up the ghost. It's amazing to know the crucifixion of the Lamb began at the morning sacrifice, and it ended at the evening sacrifice because Jesus was once again proven not to just a man and not to just a house and not to just the nation. He was proven to the entire world that I am the perpetual sacrifice. It starts with me and it ends with me. And I don't know what that does for you this morning, but I've come to tell everybody in this house, you are in the presence of that sacrificial lamb this morning. And whatever your need is in this Sunday morning service, can I tell us there is a lamb that's in this house today and he wants somebody to know I can stretch myself to one person and I can extend myself to a family, uh, and I can even save your nation, uh, but there's a lamb among us uh, who can save the entire world. Uh, He can save your family. uh, He can save your kids. uh, He can save not just our nation, uh, but there's a lamb in the house uh, who progressed to the point that he said, I'll be a lamb for the entire world can I tell us none of it would have been possible if the Lamb had never been born. If what we celebrated two days ago had never occurred, none of it would be possible. When John called Jesus the Lamb of God, I believe John was making the announcement he's here. The Lamb we've been waiting on. Because he uses the word behold. Because when I begin to study and look at that word behold, it's a Greek word that's an action verb. He was telling all those Jews around him, look on this man. Look with intent. Because this is the man we've been waiting on. This is the lamb that's been progressing through the Old Testament. And now he stands in flesh and blood in front of us. Because God's plan for redemption was always a lamb and blood. It's amazing to know that his plan was shown to us in the very beginning. Because when Adam and Eve sinned and they were evicted from the garden, the Bible says this, God covers them with animal skins. And when you begin to read commentaries and do extended studies on Genesis, there's commentaries in Jewish writers that tell us they believe that the lamb God chose to cover Adam and Eve with was a lamb. Because from the very beginning, it was God's way of telling Adam and Eve, the first two people in this world, you've got to have a lamb. And there's got to be blood. It's why Abel, their son, would later, when the Bible says, at harvest time, he would bring an offering from one of his flocks. He brought a lamb, and it was sacrificed. And the Bible says God respected it. Because Abel was taught by Adam and Eve about the necessity of a lamb. Maybe that's why God rejected Cain's, because he went to the field. So we all stand in this house this morning. Leviticus 17, verse 11, makes a profound statement when it says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, the what? the blood, To put upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. There's life in the blood. But life in the blood would not be possible if the lamb had never progressed throughout your Bible. But the more I'm glad he came for Isaac in Genesis. I'm glad he came for Israel in Egypt to every house. I'm glad he came to the nation of Israel during the day of atonement. But I'm also glad there was a day when God says my lamb is not just for the nation of Israel. My lamb is about to stretch itself. And I'm going to be able to touch every person in the world. The blood of lambs, they tell me, has been used as an antidote for snake venom. I read this article this morning as I arrived a few minutes before church and stepped into Evangelist Quarters. I read an article, Brother Moore, that said in the the continent of Australia, they tell me that they use the blood of sheep to develop rattlesnake anti-venom. They do this because what they do is they inject 2,000 lambs at a time with rattlesnake venom. And they say because of the blood of the lamb and the compounds and the components that it's made up with, that blood of the lamb will begin to combat that venom of the snake that's been injected. And then by doing so, when this blood of the lamb and when the venom of the snake collides, they said somehow, way, antibodies are produced. And once the antibodies are produced, they draw out the blood of that lamb. And when people come in for snake bites, they put lamb's blood inside of them to compound the bite. It's amazing that our savior was called the lamb. And the first thing that showed up in the garden was a snake. But aren't you thankful the prophecy was given? He's going to bruise the head of his heel. Aren't you thankful every time that snake tries to bite, and even if he does bite, aren't you thankful there's blood of a lamb that can combat and compact everything the, the snake throws in your direction? Why don't we lift our hands all over this house this morning? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. If they'd make their way to the music. If they would like, it's up to them today. Oh, but I feel like there's some individuals in this house. Maybe maybe that snake has attacked some of us this year in 2020. Maybe some of us have endured some snake bites along the way this year. Yes, the enemy is raging and the enemy's fighting and attacking. But I've come to tell us there's an antidote in the house. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Why don't we just step out of our pews right now and just come stand around the front today. Come on, if you need that antidote today, the lamb is in the house right now. Every battle that you go through, every fight that you have to endure... Every attack that snake may try to give, I've come to tell us from the very beginning, uh, the Bible says there was a lamb slain uh, from the foundation of the world. uh, Before Adam and Eve ever fell, the lamb was already provided. uh, Before sin entered into the world, the lamb was provided. uh, And before the snake begot Eve, the lamb was provided. uh, Because God's remedy for humanity has always been a lamb. and His blood. Come on, they're about to lead us into worship right now. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Come on, God can move for an individual right now. God can move for families right now. God can move for a nation, but God can also move for the entire world. Come on, let the Lamb combat every attack of that snake today.
2: Not just the blood of another spotless man. His blood, most precious blood, what the sins of man. For his blood, it healed my body. It said, My spirit. I'm so glad his precious blood still flows from Calvary. His blood, not just the blood. Swell, and the boy
0: What a word we've heard here this morning. With what's been said, even the part of the rattlesnake, the lamb. Yes. Watch this. When well, the blood's applied, it's applied by baptism, watery grave. It's applied into our lives. There's some things in life and life's journey. We come up short and we drop the ball and come on, let's just admit it. We sin, We transgress and we have to confess and we have to we have to get it right. But what happens when, when the serpent strikes? It's not your fault. And You wouldn't even expect it all of a sudden out of the bush. It's just wow. the power of the blood keeps that bite from, from, from poisoning you. The power of the blood immediately starts reacting against the poison. It's been injected. The power of the blood begins to respond. It comes to the rescue. Think about it. Ponder that. Pray over that a little bit. The power of the blood. Can it be that the reason our forefathers seen such great results? We hear this statement often. I plead the blood. Sing the songs. That the serpent can't cross the blood. Thank God for the blood. There's life. There's hope. She just sang it. There's healing in the blood. You remember what the surgeon told? Brother well, Fultz that time when he had back surgery. He said get in that shower. As hot as you can stand it. Hit that spot where surgery. He questioned him why. He says because that he draws the blood. He said and there's healing in the blood. That's right. That's Thank God for the blood this morning. Amen. I believe some healing's going to take place. In some places that medication and surgeons and none of that can do it. But the blood can. Yeah. Not just anybody's blood. But. His blood. Jesus Christ's blood. Thank God for the blood this morning. What a word, brother. God bless you this morning. My, my. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. Love you. Appreciate you today. 530 prayer time, 6 o'clock service time. Come back to expecting an explosion in this place tonight. God bless you. Appreciate you.